welcome to your most obedient and humble servant. This is a women's history podcast where we feature 18th and early 19th century women's letters that don't get as much attention as we think they should. I'm your host, Catherine Garrett. I am delighted this week to introduce today's guest, the always wonderful Samantha Snyder. Hi, Samantha. Hi. Uh, Samantha is the reference librarian at the Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington at Mount Vernon, and I'm thrilled to say the author of a chapter in a forthcoming book. Yes. What's the title of that again? I'm sorry. It's called The Women in George Washington's World. So it is a edited volume. This is going to be terrible if I say the wrong number, but it is an edited volume of nine essays that are um, all about different women that were in one way or another affiliated with George Washington or he knew them. Um, So it's people like Elizabeth Powell, who was a good friend, Martha Washington, um, Phyllis Wheatley. There's an essay about her. So great group of authors too. Samantha was the first guest that I had on the podcast and we talked about this chapter coming out and I had been working at the, the Martha Project for like five years at that point, but our books are coming out at the same time. Yay, COVID. <laughs> yes. This week though, we've, we've, Samantha's been on a couple times and we've talked about Elizabeth Willing Powell letters and we even made a recipe for muffins that Elizabeth Willing Powell wrote, which I'll share in the, the notes of this podcast because that was a good time. But today we're doing something a little bit different. This is a letter from Martha Washington's granddaughter, Eleanor Nellie Park Custis. We've done an episode from Nellie earlier. So if you'd like a more in-depth introduction to her, uh, go back and listen to episode seven, Strange, Most Passing Strange. But for now, just as a short introduction, this is Martha Washington's granddaughter, uh, who Martha and George basically raised during George Washington's presidency. They uh, took her and her brother from their mother's household and took them with them to New York and Philadelphia. So she had sort of the little American princess upbringing. So how did you come across this letter, Svetha? Well, so I'm lucky enough, of course, to work at Mount Vernon. So I have a lot of things easily at my fingertips and I get to talk about different things and that sort of stuff. So I was actually preparing for a little video on Nellie and I was going through some of her her letters, just kind of trying to get an idea of who she was as a young woman, because that's really what the talk focused on. Mm. So I was reading through and somehow it's funny how you read things And they just don't catch your attention at the time. That's how this letter was. Like, I would have read it because I've read um, the edited volume of her papers and I've seen, you know, the originals, but I just found this and I was like, oh my God, this is an amazing letter. It's (laughs) full of the best gossip and the best dramaticism that I've ever seen. Uh, Young Nellie is hysterical. Martha describes her at one point as half crazy. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like in a little wild thing or whatever. Like she's a little wild creature. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, yes. At this point, what is going on in Nellie's life? Yes. So this is from 1798. So she's 19 and she is back at Mount Vernon after the presidency has ended. She's been there now. This is May. She's been there a little over a year back at Mount Vernon and her future husband, Lawrence Lewis is hanging out at Mount Vernon at this point. And, but yet, as she says in a later letter that Cupid has not yet struck her with the (laughs) the man known as Lawrence Lewis. A little while, but yeah, so they're living at Mount Vernon. It's when Washington has retired. So they, they kind of think they're, they're much more relaxed yet. They still have a constant stream of visitors as we know. The letter's where they talk about inviting Lawrence Lewis to come live at Mount Vernon. And George Washington says basically like these kids want to stay up too late. 
<laughs> I need somebody to come and entertain these children, these youths, <laughs> so I can go to bed. Yes. Oh my God, the youths, they're all hanging out on the piazza doing youth things. <laughs> she's briefly visiting her mother's house at Hope Park yes. uh, when she's writing this. And she's writing to her friend, Elizabeth Bordley, who lived in Philadelphia still at this point. Yes. So Elizabeth Bordley was one of Nellie's best, best friends and lifelong best friends which is really cool. So Elizabeth Bordley lives in Philadelphia for most of her life too and marries a man Gibson. That's in the 19th century, but yeah, she stays in Philadelphia and really is kind of Nellie's sort of consistent presence in Philly to let her, like Elizabeth always writes back information on everybody and kind of what's going on in the city. And even though Nellie's like, oh, I'm so happy to not be a, not in the city like I'm out in the in the rural wilderness enjoying myself she clearly misses it and so <laughs> Elizabeth Bordley is a really good way for her to keep in touch with people and just kind of have her finger on the pulse would you like to read the letter sure all right so this letter was written on May 14 1798 my dearest Eliza's most acceptable favor of May 3rd I received two days since from Mount Vernon whither the mail carried it and from whence I came 10 days ago I hasten to thank you for this and your former epistles and to request that you will continue to write me as often as you can conveniently without ceremoniously waiting for an answer as you may believe me my dear friend when I assure you that you can never write too often your letters are always a source of real delight to me and if I do not always return letter for letter, it is not from want of inclination or affection. I have, as you requested, contradicted positively the report of your engagement with Mr. Holker, wherever I have heard it mentioned, at the same time giving the young man credit for all the good qualities he now possesses or may hereafter possess. And now, to relieve your suffering ladyship from the tender hooks of impatience, curiosity, etc., etc., on which you are so uncomfortably dangling, no doubt, even at this present writing, my superabundant delicacy would not have kept my tongue tied until this time, when I knew the interest you take in whatever concerns me, if there was any truth in this report, the second part of last spring's rumor, and with as much foundation as then existed for it. I can't think who the wiseacre is who lately left Mount Vernon and who vouches for the authenticity of the affair, or how Mr. Craig, the most honorable member, could know that the young persons in question have had since last spring an excellent opportunity of knowing each other. To my certain knowledge, who you will allow should know something of the matter. They have never directly or indirectly set eyes on each other but once since the races in April 12 month of which I gave you information. Report has often informed me that he was attached to a certain Eleanor Park Custis, an oddity of these parts, but as he has never told it to her by tongue or pen, therefore she is yet in the dark as to the truth of the surmise and consequently she is not nor has been engaged to said Charles Carroll. Therefore, of course, your impatience, anxiety, and all that goes for nothing. There is at present no shadow of the event. Clouds and darkness rest upon it. And you or anyone else know as much of the business as I do. Mr. Carroll was at Mount Vernon in March, stayed one day and night. Nothing more than common civility passed on either side, and he marched off as he came. Since when, I have neither seen him or heard anything of his movements. 
you will excuse my not describing said youth, his external appearance I portrayed to you last spring. My acquaintance since being only of one day's standing does not authorize me to speak of his internal qualities. By all accounts, they exceeded his personal attractions, which are not very great, although quite equal to most of the youths of the present day. If I should ever be engaged to him or any other person, you may rely upon having the earliest and most candid information without being necessitated to interrogate me. I left Mount Vernon with my sister-in-law to come here on a visit to my dearest mother, whom I had not seen for several months. I left my beloved grandparents and sister Peter well and found the family here in perfect health. Mr. and Mrs. Law left us last week with my charming niece, Eliza, who is very much improved. My sister and brother were much pleased with their visit to Philadelphia and the kind attentions they met with there. Sister Peter has returned to the city. Her sweet children were dangerously ill for two days, but they had recovered almost when I came away. I have never been out since I returned from the city, have seen few persons and heard no news. Many thanks, my charming friend, for the song sent. I sing it every day with strong patriotic feelings and I think it very fine. I am full as patriotic as you can be, Bet, and to speak truth, I am becoming an outrageous politician, perfectly federal, and determined even to lend a hand to extirpate the demons if their unparalleled impudence and thirst of conquest should make them attempt an invasion of our peaceable, happy land. Have you courage enough, think you, to turn soldier on such an occasion? If you have, let me know it, and I will enroll you in my corps of independent volunteers. If occasion suits, we may perhaps dub ourselves knights. You must procure a black dress. The fashion of it we will settle hereafter. We shall have black helmets of Morocco leather, ornamented with black bugles, and an immense plume of black feathers. You have no idea how becoming it will be. We shall tower above the rest. Our arms shall be lances, pistols, bows, and arrows, and I shall take especial care to provide burned corks or charcoal sufficient to furnish amply the whole association of valorous knights with immense whiskers and mustachios of uncommon magnitude to strike with awe the beholders. My ambition fires at the thought, and I feel chock full of fight. Think, child, how glorious to be celebrated as the preservers of our friend and country. In such a cause, a woman's vengeance towers above, above her sex. We shall perform wonders, I am sure, and our fame will be transmitted to latest posterity. I've already engaged several of the sisterhood to be ready at a moment's warning. I am commander in chief of the Corps. I am at present quietly seated in the still retreat free from noise and bustle, enjoying the present and keeping myself in readiness for and prepared to meet anything that may come round in the course of events. I do not wish to dance again until next winter. I almost lamed myself last winter. I am not at all surprised you wish for retirement. I would not exchange mine for all the pomp and vanity of this wicked world. I expect to remain here some weeks longer. If you write to me in the interim, direct your letters to Mount Vernon and I shall get them regularly as heretofore. You will have some difficulty to read the scrawl, I fear. I have copied part of it, but it is still hardly legible. I beg you will remember me with great respect and affection to your parents, friendly greetings to your brother, Mr. Mifflin, and compliments to all our old friends who are kind enough to remember me. Be assured, my dearest Eliza, of the firm and lasting attachment of your Eleanor Park Custis. 
wow. <laughs> what a letter. <laughs> I was getting all riled up. I, I, I was I ready to go out and fight too. <laughs> I know. I was like, I want to have a plume of feathers and a black dress and like a, the, the charcoal mustachios. A, me. I'm like, gigantic I mustache. Just gigantic mustache, like with the curls. I'm just <laughs> Clearly there's a lot going on. Yes. Everybody thinks everybody's engaged. <laughs> yes. Yes. Classic. Yes. It's, it reminds me of like celebrities almost because clearly this information is traveling from Philadelphia to Alexandria to DC and back again. And so there is a gossip mill that is going all up and down the Eastern seaboard. Yeah. And she's like, she's the little princess she's the little people are going to be observing her and watching her every movement at races and dances and and all that so first she's shutting down what does she say about mr holker people think that elizabeth bordley is engaged to one mr holker mr holker who i tried to look up and i think his name is jean louis holker i think He's the only son of this John Holker, and he was supposedly in Paris for most of this time, but I think he might have come to Philadelphia, Mm. and I don't think he got married until after this letter is written. (laughs) So it could have been a Frenchman, which that goes way against Nellie's whole argument (laughs) and what was going on in the the world itself. (laughs) Okay, so that explains a little bit about where she says, <laughs> I love the way she puts it, where she's like, giving the young man credit for all the good qualities he now possesses or may hereafter possess. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he has good qualities, he might eventually get good qualities. We'll see. She's shutting down any rumor that Elizabeth is engaged to Mr. Holker. And then she has this very long drawn out introduction to the rumor that she is engaged. She herself is engaged in the way that she does it. She, you know, report has often informed me that he is attached to a certain Eleanor Park. Eleanor Park and I love that she refers to herself in the third person. I'm like, oh my God, you would. Like, yeah. it's just so perfect. Because that again, kind of leans into the whole sort of like, it's a it's gossip like it's like it's not even her it's like this this character this like celebrity and she's like oh that Eleanor Park Custis that's I don't know (laughs) (laughs) so I didn't know who this Charles Carroll was so I was like okay quick I'll go over to founders and see who this is and of course that led me to more letters and letters and so it seems that uh, Nellie's brother has been pushing this rumor. He's like George Washington Park Custis has been part of the problem of this rumor. Uh, there's a letter that he wrote to George Washington where he writes, I find that young Mr. Carroll has been at Mount Vernon and report says addressing my sister. It may be well to subjoin an opinion, which I believe is general in this place. Oh, uh, George Washington Park Custis, the way he writes letters, yep. is that he is a young man of the strictest probity and morals discreet without closeness, temperate without excess, and modest without vanity, possessed of those amiable qualities of benevolence and friendship, which are so commendable in anyone, and with as few vices as the age will admit of. 
this may be excused as I'm acting on hypotheses and supposition. In short, I think it a desirable thing and wish that it may take place with all my heart. So he's like giving his like, permission. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like he's giving his permission, like Nelly needs it. Like he's like, I think it will be great. I really do. Me being the younger brothers, like I am the only brother. So yes, writing to George Washington. Writing to George, like, guess what? Like, <laughs> and so then George Washington writes back and he said, young Mr. Carroll came here about a fortnight ago to dinner and left us next morning after breakfast. If his object was such as you say has been reported, it was not declared here. <laughs> and therefore the less is said upon the subject, particularly by your sister's friends, the more prudent it will be until the subject develops itself more. Amazing. Amazing. Classic George. Classic George. And we all know who his favorite grandchild was. <laughs> Nelly. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he was sticking up for her. Yeah, he's basically saying the same thing and just like the less is said upon the subject after George Washington's been confirming it. Fabulous. He like condenses Nelly's five million paragraphs into one little thing. <laughs> and it definitely like does show that they were te- like young people at that point. Him just being like your sister's friends. Like that sounds just like today, really, which I love. Yeah. And, and so apparently Charles Carroll <laughs> The reason that he came to visit was because he wanted to be George Washington's aide de camp. Because again, this is one of those historical moments where I'm sure many, some of my listeners are very familiar with the quasi war with France. I was not before really digging into this era. Me neither. I was sort of surprised when I was transcribing the letters from it's a very brief period between George Washington's retirement and before he passes away. I was just sort of picturing this like happy, you know, pastoral Mount Vernon existence. Mm -hmm. But the letters are all very warlike because we were at that moment in history in a, they call it the quasi war with France because it was never like a full what, it wasn't a cold war. It was a naval war, but like it, it never really blew up the way it was supposed to. So it had to do with uh, the XYZ affair and the Jay Treaty and the United States foreign relations with France were, were very, very tense. And um, <laughs> clearly the Federalists, <laughs> which Nellie, who has become perfectly federal in this oh, letter, yes. perfectly federal, <laughs> like wanted this to be a full war with France, like ASAP. Mm-hmm. And they, to the extent that they, they actually called George Washington back to be commander in chief of the armed forces again. And so when George Washington died, everything was revving up and Alexander Hamilton is doing some kind of like shady things. Uh, uh, I'm describing this so badly, but so read up on the quasi war. Yeah. They're all like doing these secret meetings in that November and the fall and stuff. And yeah. 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 And, and, and so obviously, you know, the Jeffersonian party, the democratic Republicans love France. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. So they're, they're like, oh, this is all, this is, this is all puffed up. This isn't, this isn't a real threat. And then the Federalists are saying, this is, this is, this is so much of a threat that like, they think that the French are actually going to invade. I was so glad that she actually said like, she uses the word invade. The thirst of conquest should make them attempt an invasion of our peaceable, happy land. So land. Yep. she's saying that like the French are actually going to arrive and invade. And at this point, they really didn't know. It was like they didn't know if it was going to become a bigger war or not. And of course, it sort of all fizzles out. My favorite quote about the quasi-war with France is to John Adams as president. And obviously he was making some dubious decisions during this 
particular <laughs> era of his presidency. He's, he's really making some unconstitutional laws um, and stuff. But he he went to a family member got sick, like while these things are still building up and people were talking about whether or not France is going to invade. And John Adams quote, as he said, at present, there is no more prospect of seeing the French army here than there is in heaven. Oh, oh, that is a bird. <laughs> yes. So he's basically saying, calm down, yeah, everyone. Calm we do down. not need an and army. So these people are evil and they won't go to heaven. <laughs> basically, it's kind of how I read that second part. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> both. It's beautiful. It's like beautiful. I love that. Uh, that's my my brief, very vague introduction to the quasi war with France. But so that is, if you were confused as to why <laughs> Nelly wants to put a giant mustache on yes, and go out and, and fight. Fight, yeah. And with her with her merry band of, of knights. The ladies put their black dresses on. Get yep. And the plumes of feathers, I can only imagine. Like, and, and just thinking of them riding down like the street in Alexandria, the George Washington Memorial Parkway, which was one of the roads that led that eventually was created. But imagine them riding down that on their <laughs> horses, like, and then riding into DC on their horses. <laughs> I, I'm just picturing her like at Mount Vernon as George Washington's being commander in chief again, just like taking in. She talks about the, the song that Elizabeth sent her that yes, she says is yeah. patriotic. Do you know what that song is? No, <gasps> I've, I've wondered, I was kind of trying to see what I could figure. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I wish I did. I have a couple of Nellie's like of those music books the compilations that they put together for Mount Vernon a while ago I should look and see if if uh if there's a song in there that matches from that period I am full as patriotic as you can be bet and to speak truth I am becoming an outrageous politician perfectly federal, federal. and determined to lend a hand so good I get asked a lot about whether or not Martha Washington was a political person and she says that she is not but this letter makes me think that they deep, all were. Yeah, yeah, deep down, Martha probably was too. Although yes. I'm I'm imagining Nellie being like, teach me to Washington, teach me how to be commander in chief. <laughs> he would play along. He'd loan her a coat or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but Charles Carroll would not be her aide de camp. <laughs> no way. <laughs> she is not impressed. No. This letter also made me laugh thinking of Nellie dispelling her own engagement rumors and Elizabeth Bordley's because they both had claimed in a previous letter that they would be spinsters for life. That was their thing. That was what they were going to do. So I'm like, of course, they're still like, no, no, like, no man is good enough for us. Sadly, neither of them stay spinsters, like, but let's hope they were good marriages. Like, <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Lawrence Lewis is just sitting in the background. Yeah. Just like sitting there like, Okay. <laughs> and I have to imagine what Elizabeth Bordley's reaction was to all this. What really stinks about these letters, while Nellie's letters are so awesome and so dramatic, and like you can tell, and like she's always like thanking her for information from Philadelphia, but it's always so vague. While Elizabeth Bordley saved these letters of Nellie's, Nellie did not save Elizabeth Bordley's letters. Oh. So for the most part, this is very one sided, which is very sad. So I have to imagine, was Elizabeth Bordley as dramatic as Nellie was? I wish I knew. So if anybody out there somehow has Elizabeth Bordley letters, <laughs> let us know. She says at the beginning, she's like, write me as many letters as you want. Yeah. I won't always be able to respond to them. But like with that, like knowledge that Nellie didn't save her letters, it's sort of like she's leaving her on red. Yeah, exactly. I know she's like, 
just because I don't respond to all them doesn't mean I don't love you. Like that's basically what she's saying. She's like, but I'm too busy planning our attack. I like her a little bit about how she danced. She almost lamed herself dancing. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? I will say too, she actually, I think it's Charles Carroll that she danced six dances with at a ball at the Union Tavern, I believe in DC. So kind of wonder was that where it all began? This rumor, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> very much like today with celebrities. They were seen together once in public, and now the rumor mills. And then, and then, and that's. I wonder. And is it? What does she say? The mischievous person or the wiseacre? The wiseacre. I can't think who the wiseacre is who lately left Mount Vernon. <laughs> Uh-oh, like, makes me think now with you providing that context of George Washington Park Custis, I'm like, maybe he is the wiseacre that's going around being like, here? George, <laughs> George wiseacre Park <laughs> And she mentions, she mentions her sister. She says sister Peter, sister yep. Law. Um, so that's her sister, Elizabeth Park Law and her little daughter, Eliza, who I think is still pretty young at this point. I think so. Yeah. And they go to, and oh, and the city she references, she says they're in the city. That's Washington city. I guess I should have, I guess that is good context for people. People probably know that, but, but it's Washington city or now we think of Washington, DC. DC. See, I'm always tripping over myself because they call it the federal city, but I want I yeah. want people to know it's Washington, D.C. that they're talking yeah. about. Even though what's so interesting about D.C. versus Philadelphia and stuff is that there was such a difference then if D.C. was not, was no Philadelphia at that point. Like, no. and it's, it's so interesting to see all of the different letters all throughout kind of the first, first few years of the 19th century where everybody's going back to Philadelphia when, when Congress is out of session or, or whatever, they all leave because they're like, we don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Because there's events and stuff, there's balls and things, but it's no, it's not Philly. But Nellie was making do. If there was a dance, she was at it, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> she was at it and she was dancing. Yeah, unless she's lamed herself. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of like, oh, everyone was asking me to dance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I danced so hard. I, I danced with so many people. Oh, I'm so I'm tired. So, I'm so happy to retire to Mount Vernon. We're all singing my patriotic songs. I'm just imagining her singing it from the piazza, singing it to the Potomac. <laughs> trying to think of anything else good in here to, to unpack. It's so long, but really it she's is. just covering like three things. <laughs> And this seems to be one of her longer letters, too. Like, she writes long letters, but this one... And she says she copied it. So that <laughs> that means, yeah, like, so she like... had a draft and then she rewrote it. And she's like, no, this is all gold. <laughs> this stays in. I copied some of it. So I'm like, was her original letter even was it shorter? Or, that, or was it longer? Like, did she copy some of it? But at one point, had even more description of <laughs> what they would look like when they rode out on their horses. <laughs> And, the, and what they, how they would battle. It's just such a good, it's like, all right, these are 19 year olds gossiping and having fun. Yes, exactly. And, and just doing it with 18th century language instead of how we would talk now, but yet, yeah, it's all so similar. That's what I just always, that's, I find letters of like the younger, like teenagers or the younger people just so interesting and like sibling dynamics too are mm. so like, 
the same no matter what century it is. Siblings will be siblings. (laughs) Before we end the episode, we wanted to make sure that we mentioned our colleague Cassandra Good is writing a book about the Custis family. So you can learn more about these colorful characters and their lives. I'm so looking forward to it. So looking forward to it from from both the librarian standpoint and that I will hand it out to everybody just like the Martha papers I've been so excited but also from a gen like genuine interest and skull and you know like it helps my research all of it but but yeah I'm so excited it will be such a such a good piece of scholarship to add to the library thank you so much this was super fun Samantha I'm so glad that you sent me this letter I was cackling while reading it you're very welcome I was also cackling while reading it so and I immediately was like okay a podcast episode needs to happen so uh again keep your eyes peeled for women in George Washington's world I can't wait to read your chapter on Elizabeth Willing Powell I'm very excited and hopefully we'll have you back very soon yeah I hope to be back soon thank you so much um as for my listeners I will put links to some of these other letters that I've been linking to in the show notes and all sorts of things. Maybe we'll find the patriotic song. Who knows? But until then, thank you very much. I am, as ever, your most obedient and humble servant.